All right. Um, I want to start today by telling you a little bit, give you some insight into how uh, me and my wife Karen work. Um, you know, we've been married 22 years, and, uh, you know, we knew each other in high school. We didn't start dating till after college, but we've got this relationship that just, you know, has this long, wonderful history to it, but it is so important for us to make sure that we are communicating well with each other because anybody who's got a relationship like this knows that things can go off the tracks really quickly. And it's even funny in that to see how um, sometimes we miss each other on some of the most, you know, even seemingly small things about how we might communicate. Uh, we, we uh, every once in a while, we try to go out and take a day and just talk about where are we at, where's Jim at, where's Karen at, where are our kids at, what's the future look like, are we on the right track, what do we see in the next four years. We kind of do some of that planning kind of stuff, checking in with each other, and we did that a few weeks back. But you guys know, some of you guys do this about whether that's at work or with the relationship, you do that and then often the things that you talk about don't actually get followed up on. And that's a huge danger, any kind of planning like that. And so we sat during our planning meeting, we said, we have got to schedule a time to follow up with this and make sure that we're on it. So last month we said, we're doing that on September 20th. That's this coming Friday, we've got our check-in time. Here's what I want you to see. This is just a little illustration of how people communicate differently. Here's what Karen wrote into her planner about what we are doing this Friday, September 20th. We are doing a marriage check-in this Friday, September 20th, okay? Here's what Jim wrote into his calendar, what we are doing on this Friday, September 20th. We are doing a vision check-in this Friday, September 20th. And we, guys, we sat down this week and we looked at that together and we just said, oh my gosh, this is so perfect. Here's Karen and she's leaning toward the relational, leaning toward the how are we and how, you know, and I'm like, what's the vision? Where are we going? You know, what are we achieving as a couple? Guys, if we don't, if Karen and I don't talk about this stuff, we will miss each other. And, and anybody who's married, you, you know this right? Or anybody that has a significant relationship like this, you know that you've got to communicate well. And for family issues like this, we know that if we don't communicate well, and we're not talking together a lot, the stakes are high. And, and we know, you know this, you know that as you look at your life, is there anything with higher stakes than your family and your family history? You know, I, I'm not sure that there's anything that can be more profoundly, like, joyful and incredible than family. And I know that there's, you know, the other side of that, which can be nothing maybe more hurtful. And I, I was having uh, lunch this week with a friend of mine as we were talking about how most of us have some sort of family wound that we've got over the years. Now, for some people, maybe you're listening to this and you think, well, I don't know that I've got any kind of wound from my family. It was like perfect. You're rare. I think if we went around this room and we just kind of told the stories in this room, there are so many wounding stories, skeletons, right, from the closet. Or as this uh, friend and I were talking about, sometimes we have an upper level life 
There's kind of this life that we lead that's on the upper level that has big windows and we can see out and we see people and people see us. And um, it's the kind of life that we love to lead where there's laughter and joy. And this is where we want to stay up here on the upper level. And yet the truth is for most of us, there's a bottom level. There's a basement too. There's a basement story that every single one of us, most of us have that sits down in the basement that actually, as much as we want to live on the upper level of life, that basement story calls out to us. And the basement story about our past or about something that is so painful, some wound in our family will call to us from the basement and try to impact the upper level. Guys, I want to tread somewhere today that I think is about as sensitive as it can be. I'll be honest with you, I've been so stressed out about this talk this week. As I've thought about this, I just thought there is nothing that can be more painful, nothing that we need to be more sensitive about than our stories. And some of the past stories that we have, um, man, we'd rather just live up here and not even think about them ever again. And yet, my experience just being around people the way I have for the last 20-some years is that if we want to live on the upstairs, that downstairs, those basement stories, experiences, they tend to creep their way back up. And they tend to affect the upper level life in a way that we hope they never would. But I want to go there this week and I want us to think deeply and hopefully very sensitively about our stories and how they're impacting us now. I want to tell you a story from the Bible. I I think is, to me, maybe the most horrific story in all the scripture. And it's a, it's a rated R story that I will try to make PG-13 for us. But it's a story of just incredible deception and hurt. And I think that we can see how that basement story seeps up into the upstairs level of these people's lives. And so I hope, I hope you'll go there with me. Uh, today. And my hope is not to pick at old wounds. My hope is that there's hope. My hope is that we actually go down to the basement. There's hope and there's healing that's possible for even the darkest of stories. Because what I'm about to share with you is one of the darkest of stories. Um, We've been talking about um, a guy named David. David was the king of Israel. It's about 3,000 years ago. And I want to walk with you through a little bit of his story um, we all know the, some of the great highs of his story, and we've talked in this series about some of the lows. Uh, to me, this is the lowest, uh, the lowest that it gets in some ways, and I'm going to walk you through it right now. Normally, I would read it. I think it's so sensitive to me anyway that I actually just want to kind of talk through it with you. Uh, David, here he is. You remember last week that Saul was actually king, a guy named Saul, if you were here. Uh, And Saul had a son named Jonathan, and both Saul and Jonathan died. So that left it open for David to actually become king, and that's exactly what happens. David, and this is probably a topic for a different day. I'll just be straight. Um, David has babies with everybody. I mean, he's like... He's got kids all over the place with women all over the place. But what I want to do is I want to dial in on uh, what happens between 
um, just a few of his kids. So if you looked at his family tree, it's going to be much bigger than what I'm painting for you. I'm going I'm to show you a little bit of David's family tree. David had um, two kids through one woman. One was a boy named Absalom. And the other was a girl named Tamar. And what you read about in uh, the book is called Second Samuel. It's the second um, historical book by Samuel in chapter 13. You read about these guys, and what you get about Tamar is she's just this unbelievable woman. She's magnetic. People are drawn to her. Uh, you get the sense of her just tenderness and, and, and strength as well as her beauty. Uh, it just says she's beautiful. And so people are drawn to this woman, Tamar. Uh, David has another son named Amnon. And Amnon is through another wife. So that makes Amnon and these two half-siblings. Okay, you tracking here? Here's what happens, you guys. And <laughs> this is where it gets so raw and vulnerable. Amnon, it says, becomes obsessed with Tamar. Now, she is his half-sister. And so there's clearly a problem here. And so he says to himself, rightly, that he could never pursue her. A cousin comes along, again, family weaving that story. A cousin comes along to Amnon and convinces him to actually do something that is just unbelievably terrible. The two of them plot and deceive Tamar. And what happens is, is Amnon lures Tamar into a situation where he forces her to sleep with him. And um, let's just pause right there. Unbelievable, just in that moment, unbelievable generational family wound has been opened. And it, and it goes even further in that Amnon rejects her and, and starts to belittle her in every way that he can. It says that his love for her turns into hate. And so this now whole thing has been opened up in David's family. And guys, I just, I think the reason why I've been so, uh, it's been such a hard week for me in some ways thinking about this is this is so raw and so real for a lot of our stories. Whether, whether that's your story or something else, some other kind of wounding in your family history, you know as we talk through the family tree and the stuff that can happen, you know how damaging that is. And what happens is what happens in almost every single family wound story that I know is now we've created a basement story. There's something down in the basement that's happened, and that basement story, what basement stories do, you guys, they always try to call out to us. They always try to tell us who we are. The basement story will always now try to define our existence. And that's exactly what happens to Tamar. She goes from this woman who is so respected, and now she's being told a different story from the culture around her and from the basement that is telling her and belittling her and telling her that she's not worth anything anymore. Look at this. Look at what happens here. I'll read this one to you. Um, it says this. It says, Tamar put ashes on her head, and she tore the robe that she was wearing. She put her hands on her head, and she went away, weeping aloud as she went. You know, that, um, those ashes are a symbol 
in the Old Testament for grieving and for humiliation. And so now she, her, her story now is being defined by what happened with Amnon. As you keep going, you got to start to question, right, what's, what's going to happen with how the rest of these guys weigh in? Who, what's, what's Absalom going to do? What's David going to do? In the very next uh, verse, you read this. It says, her brother Absalom said to her, has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. Yeah, right. Man, it's too late for that. This basement story has been created in her heart. She, you can't tell that to be quiet. You can't just kind of stuff that down in the basement where we never see it again. That's not going to happen. And you see this next verse, Tamar lived in her brother's Absalom's house, a desolate woman. She has gone to the basement. You know, I sent out a bunch of emails this week to just people I know who are here in the church who are sitting in the rows with us even this morning. And I just said, tell me, do you have one of these stories? Do you have one of these family wound stories, these basement stories that have called out to you guys, the stories I got back, everything around rejection from a father to parents who would make a person feel like you know, their emotions didn't count or didn't matter. Two brothers who'd been estranged for 10 years over something, infidelity, divorce that happened, and the betrayal that that person felt. Guys, there's so many of these stories that are coming up for the basement, and in each of those stories, the people were being told something, then it was, help, it was starting to shape who they were, even if they tried to live on the upper level of the house. And that's exactly what has happened to Tamar now. She's being told a story about who she is. How's he going to deal with this? He's the dad. What's he going to do? How's he going to intervene? We see one sentence about David's response. And I want to show it to you. This is what David does. In verse 21, it says, When, David, when King David heard all this, he was furious, which is exactly right. Of course, we should respond with anger. I mean, if anybody tells you that some injustice that's been done about this basement story that you have in your life, that you shouldn't be angry about it, you should be angry about it. The problem with David is this is all we ever get out of him. He only stays in anger. And he never, you, you never hear any more about how does he interact with this. He just stays in anger. And because in a lot of ways, I think anger is that emotion that can live on the upper level of our lives. Anger fits quite comfortably up here. Anger, in a way, for a lot of us, is that entry-level emotion. The problem is, is when the entry-level emotion becomes the destination emotion, and we just stay there. And that's what David does. We don't get any sense that he ever tries to dive into this, ever goes down to the basement, into a place where it might require more grieving. Or when we walk down to the basement, it might require empathy. Or we go down to the basement, it might require, depending on what your story is, it might require mercy. 
or it might require forgiveness, or it might require love, or it might require some sort of like desire for justice to happen. We don't get any of that out of David because David wants to continue to just live on the upper level of his life and pretend like the basement doesn't exist. And before we judge him, let's just say we do the same thing. At least I know I do. I'd much rather live up here on the upper level of my life where it's comfortable. I would much prefer to not deal with the stuff that's down in the basement because when we go down to the basement, we have to deal with things down here that we don't want anybody to know about. We'd rather not be in the lights. We'd rather not be on camera. These are the kinds of things that we want to hide and keep from other people and a lot of reasons for, in a lot of cases for good reason. I know for me going down and actually dealing with a basement story in my own life is so painful and so necessary. Um, You know, for me, a basement story started actually before I can actually remember anything. Uh, My parents, my dad moved away when I was little. I don't even remember it. I just know that he moved away halfway across the country and moved to Mississippi. My first actual memory of this kind of family wound for me was um, not so much woundedness as much as it was confusion. Uh, I remember being little and my mom taking me to the airport and putting me on a plane. And I remember thinking, wait, who am I going to see? And I remember going, I've got another dad? Because I had grown up with my mom and my incredible stepdad here in Colorado. And so to be put on a plane to go see somebody else you mean there's another dad and there's another mom and there's another kid who's my sister there too? And so it started, this wound for me started in confusion. But you know, as I got a little bit older and especially as I became a teenager, you know, every, every person who goes through adolescence, which is all of us, every person is asking the question, do I matter? Why do I matter? Who do I matter to? How do I? Those are all the questions that are natural for any adolescent, any teenager to be asking. And so when I hit those years, the questions ceased to become confusion. And the story I started hearing from the basement started to be, you weren't worth sticking around for. And so he left. And he had another family. And it wasn't about you anymore. He didn't want to be there for you because you're not worth it. That's the story that started creeping up from the basement to me in my teenage years. And you know what I, you know what I did? I just decided I need to prove that I'm worth it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the best athlete. I'm going to get the best grades. I'm going to achieve everything. I'm going to make him wish that he stayed. I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to succeed in the world's eyes because, dang it, I've got to prove to people that I'm worth it. If any of you guys know the Enneagram, this is where a three is born. Okay? That was me. Man, do you see how that story from the basement can impact the rest of your life? if a different story never gets told. And so many of us go through life and we only hear the basement story about who we are and we never hear a different story. For me, guys, it 
years. I'm still dealing with this. Took years of going through that, going, oh my gosh, that story that I heard down there, I'd love to live in my upstairs life. But let's be honest, the story that I'm hearing down there is creeping right up now into the fact that I want to get married. I want to have kids. How am I going to treat them? Am I going to take that basement story that I received and pass it right back on to them? If I don't process it, absolutely I will. And this is what we see all the time. You know this. You know that if we don't go down to the basement and deal with this, it's going to impact your upstairs life. I had a friend um, who emailed me this week that um, was talking about how something he didn't realize has crept, crept up on him from the basement. His sister died when he was younger, and he actually went through a really healthy grieving process uh, with her with her cancer. But what he didn't anticipate was something else. It says this, my parents' divorce happened while my sister was battling cancer, so I focused on grief work, and it was so intense, I haven't even touched the divorce stuff yet. Because of that, there's been unresolved stuff that impacts my relationship with my fiance, and it's unconscious stuff that I do to her, or act, that mirrors my dad in some ways, or anger I have towards my mom that I deny owning. Incredible bravery. Incredible bravery to say, it's not just the upstairs life. I know that the basement is coming, is calling, is trying to define me, and he's dealing with that now. God, I wish David would have done that. If you guys know this story, it's, it even gets more tragic from there. What happens is that Absalom is so furious. Those words that I read to you, actually, you know, I don't know how Tamar took it, but the words I read to you that he said to her were actually like, don't worry about it. Essentially what he's saying was, I'm going to take care of it. And he does. He, he does the same thing essentially uh, to Amnon in that he deceives him, lures him into a situation, and he kills him. He murders him. He has his, he has his guys kill Amnon, kills his half-brother. And then he takes off. He, he rides off kind of into the wilderness. He takes these guys with him because part of it is now you know that Absalom is looking at this going, he's the real problem. He's the problem because he never did anything about this. He's weak and he's distant. And so he rides off, he gathers an army, and he actually tries to challenge the throne. And he gets his crew to fight against David's crew. And in the end, David's men kill Absalom, and Absalom dies. And this is the first time in the story where you see it switch, where David finally, the words here in a couple chapters later are just David saying, oh, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. It's like he finally realizes that he's weeping over the son, but it's hard to tell, is he weeping over that or is he weeping over the realization that he never actually dove into the situation? He never went down to the basement. He never engaged in this whole thing and he's realizing, oh my gosh, I, part of my unwillingness to do so now has resulted in this tragedy. He didn't want to go to the basement, neither do we. I can't help but think what would have happened had David gone down there. What, what different story could have been written over all their lives? 
What different story could be written not only on your life with your story and your basement story, but on the lives, I'm telling you guys, of generations to come after you? The truth is every single person in this room potentially has the chance to change that basement story and to make it matter not just for you, but for your kids and grandkids and who knows who else. And that's what he's weeping over. Oh, Absalom, oh, Absalom. And he's thinking, I could have gone down there. He didn't go there. I want to ask today, and I say this so sensitively because I know that many of us maybe are right in the midst of that story right now, and it's not time to go down there. But maybe for some of us, it's time to say, I got to go. I got to go down there. I want to um, just throw an encouragement How do you start? How do you go down there? Is there hope? What does that look like? What would it mean to have some sort of insane courage for you where you actually go down and you confront the story that you've been told? What would that look like in your life? I got um, a bunch of stories this week that people sent me. I want to read a couple of those to you first. But before I do that, I want to say, you never go down to the basement alone. The lie is so powerful. You never go down alone. You always take somebody that you trust. You take a therapist with you that you trust and know. And I'll just say, you never go down to the basement if you don't take Christ to the basement with you. You've got to go down there and Jesus has to go with you. I know maybe for some of you, this is your first Sunday. You're like, whoa, this is a heavy church. Um, <laughs> I, I just want to say, like, you know, you're probably looking at that going, okay, so Jesus is going to go to the basement with me. These guys believe that somebody who lived 2,000 years ago uh, that they still think is alive can actually help heal a generational family wound that's in my life. Is that what you're saying? Yes. That is what we're saying. Yes. We think Jesus has the power to heal, and he is powerful, and he wants that. He wants, and this is not a burden for him. And you read through the scripture, this guy lives and just bleeds wanting to see wholeness in people's lives. And don't go down to the darkest part of your life without taking the greatest healer that the world has ever and will ever know with you. He wants that. Guys, there is incredible hope when we involve Jesus in that story that we have been told. And look out, I can guarantee you he's going to tell you a different story. I I got um, these letters this week. I just call them the letters from the basement. And these are from the people who are sitting in this room even right now, who sent them to me. And I want you to, I I hope you see this, and I hope you see that there's hope in this. Here's one I got. It says, for me, it was being rejected by my earthly father. Just when we started to communicate, and I thought that there was hope in our relationship, I received a text from him that said, and here's the quotes, I don't want to waste your time. I don't want a relationship with you. Have a nice life. That was the end of the text. This person writes, that was the ultimate stab to my heart. 
but I'm grateful that my heavenly father healed me of those daddy issues. One of the things that's so true about us is, and you have to identify this, is there's a wound that many of us get from our dads. And, and something's happened in your life around your dad. And when we hear about a heavenly dad, it's just so easy to project our sense of dad on earth here onto our heavenly dad. And we can start to get those things completely mixed up. And one of the things I love about this is just that she, she had the courage to work with Christ, work with Jesus as her Lord. What is, wh- who are you really? Because my whole picture of a dad has been warped. This beautiful sense of healing she's got here. Another one that I got was a letter that said this, our family wound was living with a father who lived two different lives for 10 years. When it was revealed, our family was devastated. For years, I was angry, critical, and inconsiderate toward him and especially toward his second wife. Learning to forgive them has been a long journey for me. I believe experiencing and severely judging their sins eventually helped me to become aware of my own sins. Forgiving and loving myself through God's love has allowed me to forgive and accept my father. This this is not small stuff. And now listen to this. I live by the verse that implies that I need to examine the log in my own eye before I critique the speck in another eye. What What struck me so much about that, you guys, the story is that I started thinking about, you know, here's, here's this basement story. And what was so amazing to me is that she's, she's talking about the words of Jesus where Jesus says to you, look, um, don't judge someone else until you've actually looked into your own eye. Don't, don't try to pull a speck out of somebody else's eye and judge them until you realize that maybe you have a log in your own. What's so amazing to me about that is, you know, we, we talk about this idea of like, take Jesus to the basement and it sounds so like, ooh, you know. This is such practical stuff where the words of Jesus in the scripture has jumped out and impacted her. Guys, one of the very practical ways that we can start with this idea of having Jesus into our basement story is to open your Bible. Open your Bible and start reading its words. I had a friend this week tell me something I just loved. He said, you know what? You know what the Bible does? The Bible disrupts your way of thinking. You think about it, we've got a human way of dealing with things. It, it, there's a way of dealing with things that just seems right to us, just seems natural to human beings. What the Bible does is it absolutely disrupts that thinking because God thinks a different way. And you have access to the words of Jesus, the God of the universe, who will disrupt the way you're thinking and look out when that happens. That's where healing starts. You let Jesus get a hold of it. Get in the scripture. That is one of the first ways that you take Jesus' hand and you start to move toward your basement story. Here's another one. This one was this. Uh, There was sexual abuse from a neighbor and subsequent others that I could never tell my father or mother about. For 22 years, I suffered quietly with a severe eating disorder, including anorexia and bulimia. Without Jesus, I do not think I would be alive today. I think our battle does get easier, but I do not think there is a magical instant recovery from these experiences. What I thought was so key about that is you think about, um, we talk about Jesus as being somebody that can heal us. 
Well, we read, you know, you open your Bible, if you start doing what I just asked you to do, you'll start reading, you'll see all these instances of Jesus healing people. He's, he's healing somebody who can't see. He's healing somebody who can't walk. And what's common about all those, almost every single one of them is instantaneous. It just happens. And so sometimes we can come to our own, like, deep family scarring and wound, and we take the courage to get Jesus to go down there with us. And when he doesn't heal us instantly, we're like, wait, what happened? Guys, what you see in the scripture is you will see people instantaneously healed of physical wounds. You will never, not that I know of, you will never see in the scripture someone instantly healed of some deep emotional or family wound. It's just not the way that works. There's, there's too much involved. And it's not just you. There's others as well. Now, Jesus takes his time with you, and it's a process that happens over months and years and decades. Let me read another story to you. This one um, came from someone that said, my mom simply just moved out one day my junior year of high school. And then in all caps, it says, totally unexpected. I found out that she was having an affair. Three years later, I felt the Holy Spirit come over me in a way that I completely broke down in sobbing tears and knew in my heart that I needed to talk to my mom. And after meeting up with her, I felt a huge burden lift off my heart that I didn't even realize had been there. I know this person, and one of the things that strikes me so much about this person's story is that I know the anger there, of course, anger. And yet this person, I think, was so brave in that where, where David and many of us, again, stay in that entry-level emotion state, this person decided not to do that and eventually moved beyond that. And, and the meeting with this person's mom was not about reconciliation. It was about her. It was about her and, and the Holy Spirit and Jesus leading her down into the basement and saying, this is your next step. And she followed it. Last story. My parents got divorced when I was an adult. It was a complete surprise, wrapped up in so much confusion, betrayal, and hurt. It was years before I could even think about healing. It was years spent being numb uh, instead. But God grabbed hold of my heart and showed me that even though this wasn't the picture that I had for my family and for my life, that didn't mean that the new picture couldn't be beautiful too. A decade later, healing is still happening. I can't always see the beauty, but I trust that Jesus brings beauty from the ashes. One of the things I most admire about the person who wrote this is they got other people in their lives. Part of the story of healing here has been how God has used other people to help heal this person. Um, that same friend I was out to lunch with this week told me a story that just uh, kind of made me see a, a story about Jesus in a light that I'd never considered before. Um, we were talking about the story where Jesus raises a guy named Lazarus from the dead. And what's so interesting about it is Lazarus had been in the tomb for three days, and the, the Bible even says he stunk. Like the, you know, the, him being dead had set in, and there was a smell and so in some ways, you'd expect when Jesus raises someone from the dead that they would come out of the grave and they would, like, have their hair cut and teeth brushed and, you know, looking like they're ready for prom or something. And that's not what happened. 
Lazarus comes out of the grave, he's still got his grave clothes on. He, he's still not looking good. And Jesus says this profound thing to the people there. He says, help him take his grave clothes off. Guys, when you follow Christ with your life, you have new life. There's a new life there that begins in Christ with Jesus. You are raised from the dead, from an old life, but that doesn't mean that you still don't have your grave clothes on. That doesn't mean that you completely leave behind that story, that basement story from your past, and we, just like my friend, we're going to need other people to help us take those grave clothes off. For me, the, um, not the end, but the story of, of my basement life went on where I would say probably not until I was about 30 did I start to actually consider what story I had been told and if there might be a different story that could be told to me. And just as hard as it is saying, okay, Lord, I need, you to, wor- I need to work through this. I need you to speak to me. I need you to counteract the story I've been told. If the story is false, I need to know it. And you know it was amazing, and this didn't happen instantaneously, just over time, talking, praying, reading, talking to other people, Jesus speaking into my life saying, Jim, I actually don't care how much you achieve. It doesn't matter to me. I love you no matter what. And here was the key thing that I felt like Jesus said to me, Jim, I I would never abandon you. In fact, I was and am willing to die on a cross for you. That's how much you're worth. Man, that message, how much that changes the game. (laughs) The lie and now the truth. That doesn't just change my life. That changes my wife's life. That changes my kids' lives. That hopefully changes the lives of the people that I come around because the basement story got shot down. Guys, that's what Jesus does. I have incredible hope today. I have incredible hope for you that if you're willing to take his hand and walk down to the basement, you are going to hear a different story. Lord, help us to hear it. God, when we're ready, take us there. God, thank you for even just the fact that these kinds of stories are in the scripture and it tells us that it matters and that you're actually involved. God, I pray for my friends in the room that as we think about the lie that we have been told from that basement story, we want to know what you say. We've been told we're not worth anything. What do you say? We've been told we don't matter. What do you say? We've been told to be quiet. What do you say? We've been told that our worth is dependent on external things. God, we want to know what you say. Lord, I pray right now for my friends that we could even just imagine Jesus in front of us, speaking to us, counteracting that lie. Lord, tell us what you say.
Amen.